0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started.
1: Jeremiah chapter 24 and 25. You know, when you think about these, uh, going through Jeremiah, you hear a lot of uh, um, deportations. A lot of times when the people are coming, they're, you know, coming in captive in droves and, you know, one once and then again, and yet again, kings are changing, Jeconiah, Je- Jehoiachin, you know, Coniah his uh, one of their names, you know, just, you kind of think, wow, you can get lost in all of it. But keep in mind also that the book of Jeremiah is not a chronological book. You can't read it chronologically. It's, it has its times to where even tonight we'll see some things that will unfold in chapter 25 and then 1551 takes place in that. But you have a time in uh, thinking back at 605 BC when Babylon, uh, they came against Egypt. And when they came against Egypt, they decided to, well, let's just go ahead and get two for a dollar's worth. And they went and took uh, care of Judah. They decided to take on Judah. And then during the raid, the, this raid, uh, they took uh, some of the cream of the crop to back to Jerusalem or back to Babylon. And the cream of the crop was for their own benefit nationally. They'd taken uh, the craftsmen, the, the best of them, the smiths, and... Uh, all those who were strong and fit for war, and all of these that the Babylonians carried to Babylon would um, they would carry away during this contest. And you think of guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the best of the best of the gifted ones. And remember, as for them, Daniel says they wanted to really brainwash them into their own customs. And they can benefit nationally if they had the best of the best, you know. And so uh, in 601 B.C., the Babylonians were defeated by Egypt and Judah, then wanted to regain their uh, independence, and they thought it was time to rebel again. And then a few years later, in 597 B.C., the Babylonians conquered Judah again. And this time, they came... Uh, to Judah and they became a vassal state and they put in their puppet king. Uh, a couple of years later, in five eighty nine five eighty nine B.C., uh, King Zedekiah. We've been seeing some of what he's gone on in his life. And so during this last invasion, the third one, I believe it is, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, they were coming with a vengeance. They were they were coming with fury. They were coming with this might against Jerusalem and Judah. And the Lord is using, he begins in verse, or chapter 24 by using this imagery of two baskets and he's bringing here this next message to Jeremiah. So let's pick it up at verse one, the two baskets of fruit, of figs, I should say, they're fruit. In verse one, he says, the Lord showed me there were two baskets of figs set before the temple after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away Je- Je- Jeconiah, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and he had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they were so bad. And the Lord said to me, "What do you see, Jeremiah? He said, well, I see figs, the good ones, and the, the good figs, and they're very good, and the bad ones, and they're very bad, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. So coming back to this, the datelines that I gave, gave you just a moment ago, in 597 B.C., Joachim was taken into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar then sets up his puppet king Zedekiah on the scene to be the the. Puppet king of Jerusalem. He wasn't ruling. He was just acting as ruler. And after this last flood of captives had been taken, the Lord showed Jeremiah this vision here. So you have a lot of people that are taken off, a lot of people who have split, a lot of people who are still there, or some people that are still there. And I want to read to you the account of what was taking place in 2 Kings chapter 24. Listen to what it says. At the time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, the city, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants were besieging it. And then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers, went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. Also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captives, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. So they're taking literally the cream of the crop and then some. And he carried uh, Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, all the valiant men, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, and all who were strong and fit for war. These the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. And so the Lord is showing Jeremiah this picture with these two baskets of figs are are set before the temple. One of the baskets, good, ripe, and edible, if a fig is edible. I don't know. Fig dunes are okay. I don't know so much about figs. But then the other one is rotten and it's good for nothing. And so the Lord comes and he asks Jeremiah, he says, what do you see? It's a pretty simple and clear question. I see two baskets, one good fruit, one bad fruit. And so uh, here we're going to get an explanation of the Lord. And then the first time he sees this, we're going to get an explanation of the good figs. So look at verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. And so the Lord begins here, Telling Jeremiah about these good figs that, that, that he saw, what Jeremiah saw. And that these good figs are those who were already carried off to Babylon. They're already in captivity. The last, this this branch that came in here and took the last uh, deportation out. They are good figs. And many people would think that being taken captive and and away from the Lord would be punishment, right? I mean, again, what, I, what what good is that? Chastening can feel that way. You know, when we go through times of hardships, when we go through times of difficulties, chastening kind of feels like you're away from the Lord at times, does it not? I mean, like, what's going on? But that's not necessarily the case here. So again, you're, they're not away from the Lord. And, and though it may feel that way, remember that the Lord, he says about chastening, he says that he chastens those whom he loves. And, he's, and in this case, he's really taking these people out into a, an incubator, if you will, into Babylon. They have to pay their debt. They, we'll get into that. But he's going to deal with them there. And if you remember earlier, the Lord told Jeremiah to tell the people that those who would surrender the Babylonians, they would live. And we went through this a couple studies ago. But those who would not, you know, Though those who would go to Babylon and surrender to them, they would be saved, and he, and and the Lord would meet them in their captivity. So He's not done with them. You're going to be in captivity. I'm he's still going to meet with you. Still going to, you know, you look at the promises. There, I will build them up and not pull them down. I will plant and not pluck them. I will I will uh, give them uh, a heart to know Me. And so He's going to. This is going to be the future. This group, this basket, is really going to be the future after these seventy years of judah and of jerusalem and so the lord had told them that look at there's a debt you have to pay and in the in the end the lord would be there to meet them and he's going to begin a good new new work with them it doesn't mean that the lord is finished with us either and i want to say that because at times we go through times of difficulties right and we feel like god is done with me god is you know why, why am i going through this stuff but remember what he said, that those who stayed in Jerusalem would die. But those who stayed in the city, they paid no attention to what the Lord had said. So they were going to go through this time of, of um, reaping what they had really sown. And so not only was the Lord going to, uh, the Lord, look, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking to punish them in a sense but he would bring them back to the land. So yes, they would be punished, but they would come back to the land as he promised. He would give them this new heart, and they would be their, They would be. He would be their God, and they would be his people. In the fourth chapter of Jeremiah, verse twenty-two, the Lord told Jeremiah this. He said, "For my people are foolish; they have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge." So this is how far they had drifted from the Lord. They had drifted so far from him that they couldn't even recognize him. They didn't even recognize the word, the prophets. They didn't want to hear them. And so the Lord back then, and the Lord even today, has this desire that our relationship with him is actually that, a relationship. But when we drift, he's never moved. The children of Judah, they had drifted and, and went, you know, obviously some ways away. And, and the Lord had always desired this, that it would be a relationship, that they would talk with him, walk with him, that they would understand that he's in charge, that he has the best interest for them. And just like he does for you and I, it's the same thing. But these people, they were bent on doing evil. And they're going to have to pay a price. They just they didn't acknowledge the Lord they actually turned from him in so many ways. And here is what the people who are in captivity, and I want to share this verse with you because it's meant a lot to me over the years. And I, I'm reminded of this verse. So you think of these people that are going into captivity and the Lord's not done with them. He's going he's to have his way upon them, right? And with them. The psalmist Psalm says in Psalm 119, verse 67, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray but now I keep your word. You think about the times when difficulties come upon us. Maybe we're moving out. Maybe we have moved away or we're doing something we shouldn't necessarily be doing. And the Lord gets our attention and there's some affliction or some chastening or something that comes upon us. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. The goal of chastening is to bring us back to him. And remember what happened in Jeremiah, or excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I think I've referenced this a couple of times. When Ezra began to re- uh, read the word to the people, they realized how far they were off. This is after they come back from being captive, and they cried out over being reminded how far they had gone, and, and they were crying that it was the Lord. Oh, the Lord, the word of God was being just spoken to them again. And listen to what the Lord says about them being brought back from captivity. In chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 30, he says, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is always the heart of God. It was always the heart of God. He didn't want them to do what they did, but they did it. So these figs, these people, good figs, or the basket is going to have to go pay a price, but he's not done with them. And after being released, the people will return to the Lord, with a right heart, and this group was in captivity, was going to be, again, their future of the nation. Let's look at the bad figs. Verse 8. And as the bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad, surely, thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, who remain in this land, And those who dwell in the land of Egypt, I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers." So Zedekiah may have been a king, but remember he was put there by King Nebuchadnezzar. And in him, him being a king in, in a place over God's people, it wasn't nothing that impressed the Lord because the Lord knew why he was there. He was a puppet. And King Zedekiah considered this, he was considered a bad fig, if you will. So this bad fig, he would be delivered up to judgment, and the Lord was telling him that. And all those who had stayed behind thinking that, you know what? We're in Jerusalem. We're in the safety of the walled city. We got the big walls up there. Nobody's going to mess with us. We'll be okay. We'll ride this out. They're not trusting in the Lord. The Lord says, you you got something else to think about. You're not going to go through this and not be punished. See, the Lord knows those who belong to him, even today. You think of how bad the days are. Think of how evil things are getting how crazy things are. When he separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, he's not going to have any problems. He knows those who belong to him. Remember when the, the Passover, during the first Passover, when they put the, the blood on the door and the angel will fly over, he didn't care who was in the house. He, all he did was look at the blood that was applied to it. And the blood being applied to it meant that that person is saved. It was simply by the blood. And, and that's the thing. I mean, we have a choice. Everyone today has a choice in what they're going to do. And so the survivors, they felt that they had escaped this judgment because they hadn't fled. You know, and they think, well, we're sticking it up. Well, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be in the, in, in, the, in the city of God. And they thought that they were actually, they would be considered the good figs for staying in Jerusalem and not having been taken captivity. But boy, were they wrong. You see, Jeremiah 14, back uh, a few chapters, in verse 11 and 12, it says this, And the Lord said to me, do not even pray for this people. Remember when he said that? For their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Listen, those who were staying in Jerusalem, remember the Lord told them that in order to live, you need to surrender. But they wanted to say, no, I don't think that's the right call. But they hadn't listened to the Lord. There would have been so many times that God's word was brought forth to them by so many prophets. And even in Jeremiah, 23 years in the ministry, constantly bringing forth the word of God to them, and they wouldn't listen to him. They refused. they, they They judged their spiritual maturity or their spiritual stability on their physical position. They felt that, well, no, I'm here. I've been here and I'm not going anywhere. Remember before we found out that they, when we heard that they would cry out to the temple, they would say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They had a a mass trust in the temple, the temple of the Lord. And they, they would hide behind the temple, if you will, the temple of the Lord. Those who remained in Jerusalem thought that they were the good figs because they were where they were physically. But it doesn't, I think about that at times, and I, it just kind of haunts me. Some in the Christian realm rely on their physical status, thinking that they're good with God, or they're the good figs. If they saw somebody going through many trials, they would think that person is a bad fig, right? That's the way it is. I mean, it's how, how it works, In the world, the way we look at things, and it comes into the church too, so they think, you know what, if you're going through bad times, you're going through difficult times, you must be a bad fig. I mean, there are some, I say many, in the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it society, that have this um, thing that if you have enough faith, then you're not going to go through these things. You know, you're not going to have this. You, you can speak things into existence, wealth and health, and you can just rub the genie bottle of God, and he'll make it come out anyway, you know, it happens. And even position, and if you're going through a difficult time, then you you don't have enough faith. and so It's so far from the truth, but that's the way it seems. You know, our trials and the things that we go through, listen, when I say this, the things that we go through, our trials can be our best friend at times. Depending on how we grow through them, they produce maturity. They produce in us, they change us. They're there to maybe take away a little bit of the hard edge, maybe take away a little bit of the, you know, the, the, the old man, the old woman, the trials that we go through. God hasn't left us, but he's doing the work in, in us and through us, even though we're going through the things that we go through. Think of James chapter one, says this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of us do that? Yeah, I'm going through a trial. Yeah. But at least we can have joy that Jesus walks us through these trials, right? Knowing that, he says, the testing of our faith produces patience. So it's producing something. The very things that we go through, these bad figs thought they were good figs. and They thought the good figs were bad figs because the bad figs were uh, the good figs that they were claiming to be bad, we're going through things. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that's producing something in us. God wanted these people, like he wants you and I, just to trust in him, no matter what we go through. No matter what stage of life we're in, are we trusting him? Remember when Jesus comes back, he says, will I find men still trusting, still having the faith? Will there still be faith on the earth when the Son of Man returns, the Son of God returns? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says about trials, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genu- genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's, you know, those testings going on. Well, it's, life isn't always easy. The things that we go through, there are some hard times. But the rotten figs had it backwards because they thought they were the good figs. They didn't realize that they were the ones that the Lord was going to destroy and really take out his chastening upon. Especially... Using the Babylonians. you mean that you're going to use the Babylonians? Using the Babylonians. And any one of us who has to go through trials, I'm sure at the end of the trial, depending on how we go through it or grow through it, that trial was a piece of our life that made us better, a better person whose faith was probably strengthened. Remember, trials can make us either better or we can allow them to make us bitter. So this chapter 24, 10 verses, I think what it points to is this. Sometimes we can be in the good fig basket, but think we're in the bad fig basket because things aren't going our way, or things aren't going so rosy, or things aren't going, you know, we're going through a time of difficulty. So all of a sudden we think, and we do this, I've done this, I'm sure we all have done this, things aren't going that well, so I must be a bad fig. So far from the truth. You see, other times that you think about it, there are those who think they're in the good basket because they're doing things of their own or they have their own spiritual assessment and they're doing well. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not, nothing's going on with me. Well, the devil probably doesn't have any reason to bother you. And probably they're, you know, they have this their own physical assessment. It's based on material things. But in reality, these rotten figs that we're looking at, who think they're good figs, because, of the, uh, because of the, they judge their lives according to what they have instead of the Lord, uh, what the Lord is looking at, or what the Lord is doing in their life. have to be careful in that. Good figs go through chastening times as well. Bad figs? Well, they're going to have an answer. They're going, to be, they're going to have to deal with the Lord. But don't place yourself in a bad fig basket just because you're going through a hard time. God is doing something. And ask God, what is it? What is it that you're doing? Well, I'm going into captivity. We'll get to the 29th uh, chapter and we'll see that, hey, I have great plans for you. Right? That's what he says. And so I've got plans for you. Well, we're in captivity. Don't worry, I got this. God is bigger than our problems. And we guys have to trust him. And then because of this rotten fruit basket had not been right with the Lord, they hadn't been listening. Judgment was coming. And in chapter 25, the 70 years is due. 70 years of judgment. So all of these warnings and they're being ignored and the Lord reminds them. Look like what he says. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. Those hearing this, if this part is in, would be in somewhat chronological order would be those who have been left behind the who those who are uh, not those who are taken in, have been taken into captivity he says all the people of judah in the 4th year of jehoiakim the son of josiah king of judah which was the 1st year of nebuchadnezzar king of babylon which jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of judah and to all the inhabitants of jerusalem saying from the 13th year of josiah the son of Amen, uh, King of Judah. Even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the Lord, the word of the Lord, has came to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. So isn't that amazing? I think I not really amazing. It's kind of crazy because Jeremiah had been speaking what God had given him to share to these people for 23 years, 23 years. And there had been other prophets during this time, but they weren't listening. You know, it reminds me of the days when the last days when uh, the Lord tells us that people just want to have itchy ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. I just want you to tell me how good I am, not how, how much I need Christ. But Jeremiah had been speaking this 23 years and they're not listening and they're still probably sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, I wouldn't think of anyone here would go a year, a month, a week. I'm not, I wouldn't put that on anybody saying that, you know, we neglect hearing what the Lord is speaking to us about. But doesn't this give a strong message? And, and the message is this, really, that every one of us has the ability to come to church and not listen. Every one of us. I mean, we get in the Word, even in the morning, where are we at? Disneyland. You know, the mind takes off, the enemy, whatever. But but we, we can have this propensity, if that's the right word, we can have this ability within us to come and not listen And therefore, not be changed and wonder what's going on. Oh, that preacher, man, he's just not the guy for me. Open up your ears. And this has brought me back to think of some of the things in my own life. The Lord has spoken to my heart. I began to comb through uh, today looking at this. Comb through my own life and saying, what is it that maybe the Lord has spoken to me? Lord, what have I not followed through with? You know, because sometimes we can do this, right? We can hear something of the Lord and we'll try and fix it a little bit or we'll try and get a better grip on it. And the Lord says, I want you to do away with that, right? And we try and well, we'll fix it up, pretty, put it away for a little bit. But we won't follow through to- in totality, the, you know, what he wants to have done. Put it away or get rid of it or whatever the case may be. You see, we can, if we're not careful, we can to neglect to listen to him. Or neglect to follow through with what he's been telling us. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we justify things thinking, yeah, well, I got this under control now. I only take extra money to the casino. But the Lord doesn't want us to think that we have it in control. That's not the thing. He may have said, get rid of it, and that's what he meant. He doesn't mix words. You know, this is taking up too much time. That's not valuable to you. I want you just to be rid of it. Remember, it's surrendering. If you're born again, tonight, you remember this, that our lives have been bought with a price. They're no longer ours. We have to come to Christ. But when I came to him, I said, I've tried everything else. I looked at Christ. He has the answers. And he'll take me, clean me up, empower me, use me. I'm all for it. Let's go. Your life's been bought with a price. So you think about that. Sometimes he just says, get rid of it. Lord, give us ears to hear what the desires of your heart are that we might follow through with you. I don't want to go, I don't like going, I hear the Lord and I want to write it down. Um, I want to write it down, circle it, highlight it, put a line under it, not through it, but under it. And I, and I, I just want to follow through. And many of the people here They're, they're released from captivity, and then they follow Nehemiah. We go back to as are reading that word, and they see how, how much it was. We don't have to go through that captivity. We don't have to go through those times. Sometimes, you know, uh, we go through hard times, difficult times, because, you know, it's just what it is. Uh, the Lord is growing us through something. And sometimes we bring it upon ourselves, the difficult times, because we don't listen. And God has clearly said something and we try and, well, let me pretty it up, put a licing on it. You know, I'll make it look, ah, oh, it's all right. It's, it's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. And you know what? When they, when they heard the word, listen, when they heard the word and, and uh, Ezra bringing forth in Nehemiah 8, they began to weep. They began to weep and repent, tears of repentance flowing from them. Because they had known this is how far we had to pay a price. Now, we hear the word today Right now, we're like, I don't want to pay a price. Let's call my heart, Lord. What, do you, what did you tell me? What do you tell me? What did you tell me to get rid of? I want to do it. I want to do it. You know, look at verse 4. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. It wasn't a one-time message. It was like over and over and over again. It wasn't a one and done. He's just neglected to listen see, so the Lord was sending several messengers to them. They weren't listening to any of them. So, said, you don't want to listen, you come to this church, you go to the next church. What makes you think you're going to listen? <laughs> you go to the next church, you're going to listen. Listen, by the way, the problem wasn't with the messenger, the problem was with the message. They saw to silence the messenger, get rid of the messenger, hopefully kill the message. You kill me, somebody else is coming up on this pulpit next Sunday. I mean, I'm not saying you'll kill me, but you know what I mean. You can't kill the message. You can't kill them. The message is God, if you belong to God, he wants your heart to be right. He wants my heart to be right. You know? And so this is the message. Listen, they said, all these messages, all these prophets, verse five, all these messages, the prophet said, repent now. <laughs> don't wait, don't think about it. Don't wait until you go home. Don't, you know, Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the Lord about this. What? He talked to you. He's been talking to them. No, so you don't wait about it. Now means now, right? Upon hearing what they need to do, he said, just do it, whatever it is, repent now every one of his evil ways and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Listen, when the Lord says this, today is the day of salvation. What do you think he means? Uh, you know, um... Uh. What does he say today? You don't know if you have tomorrow. You know what I mean? You don't know if you have tomorrow. I, I remember the woman of Tekoa comes, Joab sets her up, comes the King David, and he, she, she used the analogy, I'll kind of butcher a little bit, but I, I'm just bringing this out of memory, takes the water, pours it on the ground, says, well, why don't you uh, pick it back up, David, you know? And, and David kind of just says, well, how can I do that? I mean, it's in the ground, it's wasted, It's done. And it was in reference to David and his wife or, the, or his relationship with his sons. Said, That's what you got to do, David. Do it before it's too late. Do it before the waters pour down on the ground, you know. Get right with your kids. Start being a father to them. What does he do? He brings them back into the house, but he doesn't, into the mansion, but he, uh, you know, he doesn't do anything with them for two years. I and mean, Absalom gets crazy about it. He says, Come on, what's going on? Crazy stuff. Look at, do things now. When it, God says do something, Do it now. In verse 6, he says, Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. And we're we're coming to a time when it's going to be difficult on us. I'm talking about today. I think it's going to be more and more difficult as the days go by. Meaning, staying the course with Christ. If you want to stay the course and I want to stay the course with Christ, it's going to cost us. Well, you know that now, just because it affects friends and it affects who you hang out with, where you go and what you do. But many in Judah had long, long fallen away from following the Lord. And it became something that all of a sudden the majority of the people are doing. Kind of like we're going to see in in the years coming up, in my opinion. But the majority of the people began to move away. So everybody, well, everybody's doing it. Look, at, I'm going to be a one percenter that says, I'm not doing it. 99 can go that way, but I'm still going to go this way. But if we're not doing that now, they'll think, well, yeah, if it ever gets that bad, I'm going to stand up for Christ. If you're not standing up for Christ now, it's going to be hard to stand up for him later. See, we've got to be men and women that are going to stand up every day, all day, good times and bad times, and just stand there and be a light in this dark world. Be the salt to this flavorless world that we live in. And let me say this. Think with me a minute, because when we come into this type of place, the world that we're living in, and The majority, like we saw, I was referring to Judah, they moved away. Everybody went with them. A lot of the churches in the past, well, I've been a Christian just 30 years. I've seen a wide change in the church that I never thought I would see in 30 years. So if the Lord were to tarry another 30 years and if it's going the direction it's going right now and things are changing so rapidly, what if the, and listen, they're moving away from the truth, right? How long are we gonna stay the course? How long are you gonna stay the course? Because it's gonna be important. We're gonna have to stand up and we're gonna have to say, you know what? I need to do this. I, I'm going to do this. And remember Daniel in Daniel chapter one said that he had purpose in his heart not to sin, not to take down the king's delicacies. that purpose in my heart. If it's not purpose in here, man, the temptation is out there. and we're like, waffling, Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I remember when I first got saved, and I had I, t- I told the story before, so forgive me, but I, I, I went to get my land cruiser from a buddy down to San Diego and wanted to bring it home. Uh, I, let him, I lent it to him and I just gotten saved. Went over and got my keys from him and um, said, Hey, on well, my land Cruiser, I got to get my truck. Gotta, I'm going to go home. And he says, I oh, want you to stick around, man. Look at the fridge. Look it up here. I got all this. Track. Come on, man. We're going to do it like old times. And it was purpose in my heart. I'm not going there. I said, I just need my keys, bro. So he threw me my keys. He said, you Sure, you know what? Come on. I got some people coming over, man. We're going to do this right. Oh, I am born again. That old man is gone. He's dead, right? I'm not doing that. But see, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, Some will depart from the faith. The faith. There's only one real faith. The faith of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And many that are turning from that. Many that are turning from that. We're going to have to be that the minority, if you will, that is just going to say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. 23 years here Jeremiah is faithfully being, bringing the word, faithfully being, you know, bringing the word out to the people. Unfortunately, the people didn't listen to God. They weren't listening to him. And they continued in their idolatry. That only brought harm among themselves. What are we going to do? Look at verse 8. He's going to describe the judgment that's coming upon them. He says, therefore, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, because... You have not heard my words. You weren't even listening because you have not heard my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the, uh, of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servants. And this is sad because if you, if you see that right there at the end of um, verse 9, or not the end, the middle of it, where it says, my servant. This is sad because he's now calling Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Israel, Judah, they were supposed to be the servants of God. But God can use anyone he wants, including Nebuchadnezzar, to get his work done. It doesn't matter. We're not going to do the will of God. God will just put something in action. You're not going to make this happen. I'm you know, I'll make it happen. Habakkuk said the same thing. He said, "You mean you're bringing the, the Chaldeans, uh, using them as a, I'll use whoever I want." But we are to be his servants. Israel, Judah was to be his servants. And now he says, "And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against the inhabitants, against the nations all around." And I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of, of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones and the, and the, the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an and astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Gosh, when God says something, He means it, Amen. I mean, it's just the way it is. We'll talk about this Sunday a little bit, going through First Timothy chapter two, closing it off. We don't adapt God's word to the culture and say, "Well, you know what? I guess you know they were born that way. Yeah, yep, God was wrong; they were right." Yep. That's so all we do. You see, we come and we recognize God's word as having the supreme authority. And somehow, way, with any tendencies we have, I had a, I had a this strong desire in my life when I was growing up. Strong desire to just get wasted. It's the way it was. I, it's the way it was. But you come to faith in Christ. You know, that's the way it was. You know what? We don't. We look at the world that we live in and we look at what we're doing and how things are going. I'll tell you, it's a mess. And we put ourselves into captivity and all of a sudden, you know, it's like bondage and addictions. But it was a choice that people are making. It's a choice that I was making. It's a choice that we see on the world to make. It's not, you know, I mean, can you get this? I mean, seriously, and I know I've said this before, but understand, it just trips me out because people say, well, you know, alcoholism is a disease. I was alcoholic too, so I can say this. Alcoholic is a disease, but yet they open up disease centers, alcohol stores, brand new. Why? I mean, if it's a, if it's a disease, why are you, I mean, are you going to open up a coronavirus center next? I mean, so let's be serious, right? If the alcoholism is a disease, it's not a disease, it's a choice, I was raised with mother and fathers who were alcoholics. I thought that was the way to go. I thought I, I thought that I just inherited it. Thanks, Dad. Let me have another one. When I found out that I'm a man that has to make the directions of my own life, you or men and women that have to make the directions in your life, the choice in your life, right? Ezekiel 18 points that out very clearly. That we're all responsible for the choices that we make. And once again. Once again here, those who were still in Jerusalem may have thought that they were going to make it because they had, well, you know what? They hadn't been taken away into captivity. We're okay with this stuff. But boy, were they wrong. Listen, just because somebody's getting away with it doesn't mean they're getting away with it forever. And you think, why this 70 years? Let me touch on this just for a minute. From 605 BC to 536 BC. See, the number 70 years comes to 490 of the 490 years that the people disobey God's word by not letting the land every seventh year set and rest. So they're going to pay a price. God God had decreed, he said, every seventh year that, you know, the land is to lie fallow and you know what, just let it chill. No sowing, no pruning in the fields. You know what, don't do it. And if you fail to comply, then uh, God would remove them from the land to enforce this Sabbath rest. It was going to be a 70-year period. Look, you're going to pay up. The problem is that the people never let the land rest. They saw the Sabbath year as more greed. Look, I get another. They would get a bumper crop in a sixth year because God said, I'll take care of you for the seventh year. It's his economy, right? But the people said, well, if we got that good in the sixth year, let's get the seventh year and we'll just keep rolling with dough in our pockets. It was greed. And so they would be going into captivity. That would last seven years. The question, let me ask you this. Let's do the math here. Everyone here, some of you guys are retired. If God said that you could work for six years and have a seventh year off, would you sign up for that one? I'm like, down, man. I could probably live a lot longer. It would be cool. Six years. Live I'm down with that. But they never let the sand rest, the land rest. Let me remind you of what 2 Chronicles says, speaking of the passage on the captivity of the people. He says, chapter 36. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon... And when they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the, month, uh, by the mouth of Jeremiah until uh, the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God was saying, you know what? That's my land. I created it. I'll take care of it the way you didn't take care of it. And look at verse 12. It says, and it came to pass... When the seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon. So he's not going to get away with it. He wasn't a good king, and God was using him because he was good. He was a puppet to God, as, as Zedekiah was a puppet to him. I will punish the king of Babylon, the nation, and the king of uh, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make a perpetual desolation. So after seventy years, the Lord's going to punish him. Verse thirteen, and, and so I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, and all that is written in the book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. These prophecies spoken by the Lord seem to be fulfilled. This is what I was talking about earlier. In chapters 50 and 51, it seems that part of chapters 50 and 51 are written about the same time chapter 25 was written. God would repay Babylon according to their deeds. And look at verse 15, because he talks about this wrath that is promised you. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, this is a wine cup of fury for my hand. It's a pretty gnarly term used several times in the Old Testament. He says, uh, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink from it and they will will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I'm sending upon them. So several times in in the passage he's using this analogy of the cup of his wrath being poured out. And here the meaning is no different. It means that he will bring a blow to those to whom he's promised to bring judgment. In verse 17, he says, Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink. And I'm not sure if, if Jeremiah would take an actual cup and take it to the city's capital and visit each providence and say, hey, you want to drink this? And whether they drink it or not, it's coming. This is what's coming. I'm telling you, as is what the Lord says. He said, take the wine cup from the fear of my hand and cause all the people of the nations whom I send you to drink. So I'm not sure if that was the case, but he does go. To whom the Lord has sent me, verse 18, in Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and its princes, to make them a desolation and astonishment, a hissing and a curse, as it is this day. Those first to drink were going to be Judah and Jerusalem, the people of God. Why? Remember the judgment begins where? The house of God. And then it moves out to Pharaoh and to the rest. Pharaoh, verse 19, and all of these princes, kings, mixed multitude, all the uh, kings of Uz, continues to go east, the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and all of those, Ammon, Dedan, Timah, Buz, all the farthest corners, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the mixed multitudes, those who dwelled in the desert, uh, Zimri, Elam means in verse 25, all the kings of the north, uh, far and near, one with another, all the kings of the world, which are on the face of the earth, also the kings of uh, the king of Shishak shall drink after them. All these nations, God's saying, you know what, bringing judgment to the hand of Babylon. And after them, God would take and make the king of Shishak drink. Who's Shishak? Well, that's not like a sheshed, but it's a Shishak. Shishak is this kind of this cryptic name, if you will. I don't know why Jeremiah is using it here, but it's kind of a cryptic name for Babylon, possibly for Babylon. So at the end, God is going to take care of Babylon. Verse 27, Therefore you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and don't forget, barf. Fall and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you, and it shall be... If they refuse to take uh, the cup from your hand to drink, so here he is, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink. (laughs) You're going to drink it all right. You're going to drink what's in it. I'm going to pour it all over you. Verse 29, For behold, I begin to bring calamity on the city, which is called by my name, and you uh, you shall be utterly unpunished. You shall not, be unpunished, for I will call for a sword on all the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. So everyone of the nations is going to drink. Everyone is going to fall like a drunkard. Everyone is going to vomit, you know, that kind of thing. But please don't take it as drinking literally. Earlier we saw that it wasn't being drunk, they were going to fall by the sword. Those who refused the judgment, God's going to take care of them. You can say, well, God's not going to take care of me. Or God's not going to do anything to me. I'm going to go six feet in the ground. Bible says every knee shall bow. People that don't know the Lord. Well, I've, I've, uh, I remember this guy I was working with when I first moved up here. About a year after I moved up here, I got to working with him, Ron Hartley. I share the Lord with him, he don't want nothing to do with it. He goes, now oh, you don't understand, when I die, I'm going to go six feet in the ground, I'm going to be buried, that's it, I'll come up a tulip. And I said, oh yeah, then a cow gets you, and then you become cow food. And you know the whole story. <laughs> and so, so I said, oh Ron, so you need Jesus, let me tell you, you're not going to go six feet under, you're going to go to either heaven or to hell. He goes, no, 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 it's no. not going to happen. Well he got this radical wreck on the St. John's Bridge over in Portland. Radical wreck, almost died. And after that he survived, he said, Ron, you need Jesus. God saved your life. No, no, I'll get out of here with that stuff. I don't know, Ron was a lot older back then. I don't want to know if he's still alive. But I know that if he isn't, guess what? Every knee will bow. Whether you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord here and now, you will bow. And it's not because God wants us to have that chance now. Again, like I said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we get the message out. And those, again, those who were going to try and refuse this judgment, God was going to take care of them. He's going to force judgment upon them. He's going to have his way. Well, it won't happen to me. No, no, it will. And look at verse 30, because this judgment is universal. It's affirmed. He uses this analogy, He kind of goes in this analogy of the lion, therefore prophesy against them all these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high. Think of the power of this roaring lion. He says, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout. And those who uh, tread the grapes against all the nations of the earth, a noise will come to the end of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. Imagine when you go and stand before the Lord. Okay, Lord, what do you got to say to me? I don't think it's going to be like that. You're going to fall down. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation. The great whirlwind shall be raised up in the farthest parts of the earth. And at that day the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth. and They shall not be uh, lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuge on the ground. God is trying to do all he can to get their attention. They're just not listening. They're having a problem. God intended to bring uh, charges against all nations, and he's going to do that. There's not going to be any re- rebellious people that are, are uh, going to escape the judgment. Now, from nation to nation, the Lord would make them drink of the cup of his wrath. He's going to, you know, I think at times we've got to look through the lenses of Scripture to see this clearly. God can not only use anybody or any nation for anything he so desires, even the most of evil, evil people on the planet, he can do that. But just because he uses them, it doesn't mean, number one, that they're being blessed. And number two, nor will they get away with the things that they you know, that they're getting away with, their evil practices, they're not getting away with that. God is God can do these things. And I think of in the world that we live in today, we see some of the, you know, things that are going on, and we look at them, and we say, you know what? I don't know what I don't know what God is still in charge. And I look at it and I say, Well, Lord, you've got You're going to have your way. You're going to have your say in all this. I'm just going to trust you. And listen to the Lord's anger against the shepherds. In verse 34, Wail, shepherds, and cry. Their time had come. Roll about in ashes, you leaders of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your dispersion are fulfilled. And you shall fall like a precious vessel. These are the leaders finding themselves as sheep at the the slaughterhouse now. They're going to... uh, they're going to get to what they've been warned about and they refuse to listen. Verse 35, And the shepherds will have no way to flee, nor the leaders of the flocks to escape. A voice of the cry to the shepherds and a wailing of the leaders to the flock will be heard. For the Lord has plundered their pasture and a peaceful dwellings are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. He has left their hair like the lion for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger, shepherds, leaders, as well as the sheep, you're not one above the other. They're going to, you know, you may have that position or whatever. Sometimes, as pastors, we're not above anybody, but as leaders of the nation, presidents, kings, whatever, you know, you're going to suffer just like the, the guys that you put in bondage and the guys that you treated like trash. And just as in the days of the great tribulation, there isn't going to be any rulers of any kingdoms that is going to have any bunkers put in the ground with iron thick walls, you know, seven feet thick iron walls. They're going to keep him from being punished at the end. I mean, we have these earth sinking missiles that plow into the field. Now God has greater than that. He'll just crack the earth like an egg. You see, they would fall and be shattered like a choice vessel. No escape would be possible for these shepherds. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Why? <laughs> you had to save us. You know, what do you have to do with us? He loves us. So incredible. So incredible. I want to just read to you a couple passages. We. Wrap this up. Gabe, you can come up here and yesterday I shared this at our staff meeting in Psalm one oh seven. Several places through the Psalm it says this Oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And Psalm one, in, in the passage, kind of what it refers to is the first time it's found in, in verse eight, it says, Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied their longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. A little later, he says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. You know, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to the Lord. He's just done so much for us. He's died for us, given us life. And then we come to him, and in a day like we're living in today, and I think, I, you know, Lord, when you speak, I want to hear, and I want to move. And I don't want to be this guy, this gal, pondering what I need to look at and say, "Wow, well, maybe I can get a little better. Maybe I, can get to, I need to get this under control. I only drink on the weekend. I only gamble with the extra money. I only look, well, I won't look, you know what I mean? God says, give it up, give it up. He has so much more for us than we have in this world that we ever get in this world. He satisfies us. Well, may that just be, I believe what the Lord is speaking to our hearts about. It's just that very thing to say, no, whatever you're going after, it's really not worth it. But I have everything you'd ever want and you'd ever need. So Father, we ask you, Lord, to just speak clearly to each of our hearts.
0: We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.